Many people start off their real estate investing career by using someone else's money, what we call leverage. And is that a good thing to do? That depends on so many factors. Are you looking to create more money, more options, and more fun? Hi, I'm Chris McCarron, and each week my guests and I will share our experiences with real estate investing and do our best to help empower you to start creating wealth yourself. Welcome to Women Creating Wealth. If you're ready to get started, visit womencreatingwealth.net. For now, let's jump into today's episode. Hey, welcome back to Women Creating Wealth. This week, as promised, we're going to talk about leverage the pros and the cons of leverage. So leverage, if you're not familiar with that term or even if you just would like a refresher, think about a lever and how a lever works. Basically, if you had to move a big rock, you could use a small rock and then you could put your lever in here and that would give you enough force that you could use, especially if this is a really long lever, it would give you enough force that you could push that rock and move the rock even though you're not by yourself strong enough to do that. So that's what a, that's what leverage allows you to do with real estate. It allows you to take something small, like a small down payment that you've saved up, and do something big, like buy a big giant house, because you're using someone else's money. The beauty of using someone else's money is that you can do things much more quickly than you could if you had to save up for it. Imagine... If I want to buy a $100,000 house, I have to save up $100,000 if I didn't want to use someone else's money. And that might take me forever. And while that's going on, I might lose out on a whole bunch of opportunity because if I can buy one house and fix it up and sell it for profit and buy another one and fix it up and sell it at a profit, imagine how many times I could do that and the amount of time that it's going to take me to save up $100,000. So... Many people start off their real estate investing career by using someone else's money, what we call leverage. And is that a good thing to do? That depends on so many factors. But the main factor that I think it depends upon is how long are you going to own this property before you sell it? And what are you going to do with it? In theory, as long as the rent is going to cover the loan with the interest plus your taxes and all your other expenses, then it's okay to go ahead and buy a property because even if you're not making any money, the house is probably eventually going to appreciate if you take care of it. And if you get good tenants in there and every everything goes right magically. So as long as you know you have reliable tenants who are going to pay their bills and you're at least breaking even with, I would say, at least a 10% buffer that you're going to put away for things like repairs. Then you could technically buy the property and be in the exact same situation you are now, except that you have some great real estate tax advantages Plus, you've already purchased an asset that will eventually be worth more than what you bought it for. And not only that, someone else is paying for it. Perfect. And then let's say that you're going to do a flip. So let's say you're going to buy this place and you're planning to sell it right away, really quickly. That's another time when it makes sense to use leverage because if you can get all the money you need up front and you can do the project much more quickly, like say, oh, I could buy this place and I could slave away and do all the work myself and it would take me about two years to do it 
or I can buy a piece of property and I can get all the money I need to fix it up right up front using leverage. And that way I'd be able to be in and out, completely fix up the property in three months. Then does that make sense? And in most cases, the answer is yes. But again, you have to pay very strict attention to how much is it costing me for this money and what happens if everything doesn't go according to the plan. The best kind of flip, I think, especially if you're just getting started, is what we call a fluff and buff. A fluff and buff basically means that somebody left a mess when they moved out of the place, right? I I actually went through a home the other day, which they had literally, they were holding the wallpaper on with all different colors of duct tape. I thought, really? (laughs) Not one color. And they weren't in designs or anything. It wasn't like they were trying to be creative. They were just like taping the things like, oh, I don't have any more gray duct tape. I'm going to use this red duct tape. And here I've got some blue duct tape. Let's go this way. And it was just a mess all over the place. But a place like that, you can go in there, you can strip the wallpaper, you can clean up the walls a little bit and either re-wallpaper or paint. Maybe do, in this case, the kitchen could use some help and there was, and the floors needed to be sanded. So basically you're just doing, and then I would probably do some landscaping, right? Do some beautiful flowers so that when you lead up to the house, you know, so there just were a few repairs that needed to be made. And then the rest of it was really just scraping off the dirt and cleaning it up and making it really pretty. That's a fluff and buff. That can be done in a very short period of time. Normally, if you don't start taking other stuff apart, you can get in there, really refresh the place, make it look glowingly clean. And then you can just turn around and sell that normally at a very nice profit. Because who wants to, right? Imagine that you're the one that you're just looking for a home to live in. And you see this place, you're like, oh, what the heck? What am I going to do with all my stuff? Am I going to be paying for two properties while I fix this one up? And it's just so messy and I can't quite envision it, right? Most of the world cannot envision what a place looks like cleaned up. So in this case, you're going to get in there. You're going to buy the place for, you know, I like to use 100000 because it's a nice round number. $100,000. And maybe you're going to invest 10000 just because you're going to do the work yourself, but you can do it pretty quickly. You're going to rent a steamer. You're going to buy the paint. And then maybe you're going to have somebody come in to sand the floors. And then you say, you know, that's it. I'm going to be able to be in and out of here in a couple of months. No problem. And when I'm done, I'll be able to sell it for 180 Okay. So you can fix it up, get everything done, and sell it for a huge profit versus what you bought it for. And the, this is not beyond the realm of possibility. And another day we can look at some places that are actually out there right now that you could do that too. But in this case, or let's say that you can't do it for 280, let's, for 180, let's say that you could only sell it for 150, which is, again, totally reasonable. But how much is it costing you every month for the, for the debt? You're probably going to have to put down at least 30% if it's some kind of a non-residential loan. So you're not living there and you're basically an investor. Everybody knows you're an investor. Everybody knows you're going to be selling it pretty soon. So you've got a loan that's $70,000. Well, that's going to probably cost you because you're also going to have keep the lights on. You're going to have to pay taxes and insurance and all that stuff. You can plan on that costing you at least $700 a month. So you've got $700 a month coming out from the $70,000 that you borrowed. And let's say that worst case scenario, I would take right off the top, I would take out at least six months worth of that. 
So you're going to take $4,200 off the top. So you have X amount available to you. If you got a loan, for example, a 203K loan, which we can talk more about in a future episode. So a 203K is an FHA rehab loan. And what that does basically is it allows you to borrow more than you technically need just to pay off the person who's selling it. So you say, okay, property is 100000 And again, you can easily multiply this 100000 if you're buying a property that's 500000 right? Just take all these numbers, multiply them by five. So I'm buying a $100,000 property. I need 30000 up front just to buy the place, right? So I'm getting a $70,000 loan. And now I need money to fix it up. So you've decided that you can fix it up for $20,000, plus you need $70,000 to pay off, you know, to to complete the purchase and give that to the seller. So if you got a $90,000 loan, let's think about what your holding costs are every month just to to keep that property before you sell it. You're going to need to pay the loan. You need to pay your taxes, insurance. You've got to keep the lights on, keep it heated or air conditioned as the case may be. Plus, you're probably going to have to stage the home when you get ready to sell it. So now, what are your holding costs each month? Well, maybe they're going to be, instead of like $900, which it might be if you owned it and it was just taxes and insurance and the loan, you're probably going to be looking at, let's say, $1,200 a month. So I suggest right off the top, you take six months of that $1,200 holding cost and you take it off the money that you think you have to fix up the house. So that is six times 12, $7,200 that's coming out of the 20, that actually gets tacked on to the 20,000 that you thought you needed in order to fix up the place. That's got to come out of your profit. So you can't now turn around and say, oh, wow, I can sell this for 130,000 and make a profit. Well, you're not going to be making a $10,000 profit if you sell it for $130,000. You're probably going to make, be making a $2,800 profit if you sell it for $130,000. And that is that worth it for three months of your life, working on this place and selling it and worrying about it? And that's if it sells right away. So factor in holding costs. Factor in while you're leveraging, remember that you have to pay off that loan. Oh, plus, by the way, if you make $2,800, you have to pay income tax on that. And that's a short-term capital gain. So that is, ouch, that's a high rate of tax. Factor all that stuff in if you're going to do a flip. And we'll actually talk about this later when we talk about flips. So that's a reason you might not want to leverage because that's adding a lot of money to your holding expenses every month. So let's do a scenario as far as leverage goes. Let's bring it all back to leverage and talk about a scenario where somebody has $100,000. So they could just take it and they could buy one property for $100,000. And then they could not worry about it. They could fix it up. They could do everything. They don't have any. The only holding costs are going to be taxes, insurance, and they're keeping the lights on and stuff. So maybe a few hundred dollars a month. Versus somebody who has $100,000 and they say, hey, I can buy, I'm going to buy Five investment properties with 20% down. Not They're not going to be flips. They're just going to be regular investment properties. So person number one is going to be, is, we'll call her Carol Conservative. So Carol Conservative takes her whole $100,000 and she buys one property that she's going to rent out to somebody and have a nice day. The other one, uh, Sally Speculator, is going to buy five pieces of property and put down 20000 on each one. Fantastic, right? She's like, What's What could possibly go wrong? I've got five people giving me lots of money. Everything's happy, right? It's all awesome. So 
what happens when the market goes up? So Carol Conservative, she's got one property. The market goes up 10%. She now has assets worth $110,000. But look at Sally Speculator. She's got five properties, each at $100,000. So they're each going to go up $10,000 in value, right? Because the market just bumped up 10%. Now she's got five properties that are worth $110,000. She has got, and, and her, her loan amount is still less. So she took her $20,000 investment and she basically turned it into $30,000 because that extra $10,000 got added to each property. So, right, she had $100,000, she put $20,000 down, and now that $20,000, if she were to sell it, that $20,000 that she would get back just turned into $30,000. What? So she basically has $30,000 per property or a total of $50,000 more. So she took her $100,000 and turned it into $150,000 compared to poor Carol Conservative who took her $100,000 and turned it into $110,000 a 10% rate of return versus a 50% rate of return for a Sally uh, speculator. So that's like awesome, right? That's what you learn when people talking about, when you hear all these people on YouTube talking about how great it is, how easy it is to make money in real estate, how super it is to leverage. Absolutely. When the market is going up, there's nothing like leverage. But is the market going up right now? Is the market going up today? Well, that depends where you live because pretty much most people who study these sorts of things agree that the market is reaching its peak. In many areas, the market has slowed down a lot. There's more inventory. Things are taking longer to sell. So in that case, what happens? Let's say the market now goes down 10%. So now... Carol Conservative, she only lost $10,000. The market went down 10%. Her $100,000 investment is now worth $90,000. Oh, well, she lost 10%. But what about Sally Speculator? She's over here. She has now lost $50,000 because each one of her five houses lost $10,000 in value. So half of the money she invested is gone. And guess what? What happens now if Sally, if the, to Sally, if the market goes down 20%, 25%? So the market goes down 25%. And Carol Conservative is like, well, you know, it kind of stinks, but it's not a big deal because I still have $75,000, right? But poor Carol Conservative, she now has five properties that are completely underwater. She cannot sell them and get her money back. If she sells them, she's going to get nothing. Her, all her money is gone. And if it went down 25%, even more, she basically would have to pay the bank if she wanted to sell one of these properties because she doesn't have any equity and she doesn't have enough money if she sold the places. And this is if she did it without any, without any real estate agent or anybody who would have to get paid for this. So she has five properties that used to be worth $100,000, but now they're only worth $75,000. But how much is her loan? Oops, her loan's $80,000. So she's got an $80,000 loan on a $75,000 piece of property. Well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> Carol Conservative, if she needed to take out a loan on her property, it would be easy for her to take out a $50,000 loan, get $50,000 in cash back and say, hey, now that the market's low, I can go over there and buy some of those places that Sally's speculator has and get them for pennies on the dollar. 
because Sally needs to get out. And Carol has cash that she can tap because she had equity left in her property. So what does that mean? When the market is going down, the less you have to leverage, the better. So instead of buying five pieces of property right now, buy one and wait 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 for another at least three years. And then we're at the bottom or we're at a low point where you're going to definitely be able to buy property and sell it very soon, like within another five years, at a profit, at a nice profit. And then there's all kinds of dynamics about what happens with renting and buying. Like right now, interest rates are high. So some people can't afford to purchase a house. They, what they used to be able to afford for their when they got pre-approved at 4%, and now it's 9% or 6%, their, their purchasing power has gone down. So they can't buy as expensive of a home and maybe they can't buy what they really want. So they're just going to wait and they're going to rent. So now all of a sudden rental property becomes more desirable because there are more people who need to rent and you can raise the rents. Another great reason to, be, to not be fully leveraged <laughs> in this type of a market so what can you do if you're already own real estate and you're already really leveraged? If the market is still really good in your area, it's not a bad time to sell. You can sell, you can turn that into a different type of real estate investing, uh, investment like do a syndication with somebody or even just take pay the tax and let it sit. Because in general, in in historically speaking, the money that you pay in taxes is going to be repaid to you many times over by what you save when you buy a piece of property. You can even buy back the one you just sold, probably at a discount, assuming it's for sale in about three years. So love to talk more about this with you. If you want to give me a buzz, if you want to uh, go onto the website and shoot me a contact form, book some time in my calendar, because I know it's kind of, it's kind of a lot to think about. And if this weren't a podcast, I mean, it is also kind of a YouTube, but I don't want to do lots of stuff that you have to look at right now, but we can um, do that if we talk one-to-one. Have a fantastic week. I hope this helps you kind of visualize leverage and what you can possibly do with it. I would definitely discourage you from over-leveraging yourself at this moment in time, unless you're doing something really quick, like a fluff and buff. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Women Creating Wealth. For more info, be sure to check out womencreatingwealth.net. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and consider sharing the wealth with someone else who might enjoy it. See you next week.